Welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for choosing to join us today. This is the NTT20 podcast, a Monday pod breaking down all the action from the opening weekend of the EFL Championship, League One and League Two as well. This show is sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell, with me, George Ellick, and this is what we do, George. This is what we haven't done for 10 weeks or so, so we're pretty excited, I think it's fair to say. Some of the things we saw this weekend, fans in stands, uh, limbs, a couple of rockets scored, some red cards, and as always, some classic opening day, giving the ball away, playing out from the back. Some absolute calamities on that front uh, as the players get back to well, match sharpness. Uh, overall, brilliant to be back. George, how did you enjoy the weekend? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved being at the first game on Friday night. Um, as you mentioned, beyond just you know, the first day of the season is always one to be pretty excited about because the um, terrible couple of months without EFL football comes to an end. But this one especially because just seeing the stadium's full, hearing chants that I'd kind of forgotten about, like hearing the easy, easy from a certain um, group of supporters I won't mention in the championship during quite an easy win for them. Um, it's just something we haven't heard of for such a long time. And it already feels like us as a kind of a football community did incredibly well to put on a brave face and deal with last season as it was. And even the season before that, where, of course, it was curtailed early in March. Um, and now we're getting our rewards with real competitive, proper fans on seats, um, packed away ends. I just really hope it's going to continue because, uh, yeah, the weekend didn't disappoint. Um, we're going to whiz through the leagues here, as we always do. If you're tuning in for the first time and you, you found out about us, maybe through the 1 to 24s or Friday night Sky Sports segment, welcome. Uh, we do our absolute best to get through all of the key talking points from the EFL weekend. There are 36 games and we do not analyse all of them. That is not possible, but we do give it a pretty good go. Um, and if we don't talk about your team or your match in depth today, we'll make sure that you tune in for the rest of the month, let's say, as a trial period. And I'm sure we'll do it justice over the next four weeks as we find our own sort of match sharpness. Let's start unusually with a draw, George, because it was the season opener in the championship. We were at the game the first time for a long time that we've done an outside broadcast with Sky Sports. It was a special night for us, but it was a, a fabulous game as well. What a way to start the season. Bournemouth 2, Baggies 2. The main thing that I think of when I look back at Friday night just how much I enjoyed the amount of fleshy, meaty tackles that were on offer. <laughs> Both teams going full-blooded at each other. It was brilliant. Now, you were sat next to Chris Wilder during the game, who was also doing punditry for Sky Sports, and you were sharing what looked to me like fascinating tidbits with each other throughout that game. I was kind of craning my neck to try and catch some crumbs of analysis from Wilder and Ellick. Uh, what did you make of this one? Uh, I mean, what the game was sitting next to the man I used to call the Messiah. Um, <laughs> All of it. <laughs> and I didn't, uh, any Oxford fans listening, it wasn't really the time or the place to start fanboying, given that every time I lent over to Chris to, to give a bit of my match analysis, he had to take out both of his earpieces, which he very sportingly did um, until maybe in the second half, I realized I should stop making him do that every time I wanted to say <laughs> something to him. Although it was interesting to ask him about you know, a couple of players on the show, uh, David Brooks, of course, who he knows pretty well, Callum Robinson, who he brought to Sheffield United too. Um, interesting to get his thoughts on them. And I thought Robinson was probably the, the best player on the pitch on the day. Hmm. Um, he was playing through the middle of West Brom's front three. Interestingly, I said to Chris Wilder during the first half, where do you think, you know, his best position is? And he said, we brought him to play off the left, um, but we 
you know, also think he's probably good enough to be a championship number 10. The issue being in this system that Valerian Ishmael wants to play, um, he wants the ball to feet and the job of the striker in this, this Val ball, as I like to call it, is to, to scamper, um, you know, onto the, onto the long balls to challenge defenders physically. But Robinson did the job very, very well. Um, he scored an excellent second goal, um, the equaliser, which was, you know, I have no bias when it comes to this game. Um, you know, I had no interest in who was going to win between Bournemouth or West Brom. I was just happy to be there. But I must say, witnessing the equaliser and seeing the away fans in front of us was one of my favourite moments, I think, as a neutral in a stadium ever. Uh, it was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, and you very um, cleverly reminded Chris Wilder of similar scenes uh, when Sheffield United beat Bournemouth there uh, in the last minute a couple of years ago. Um, I, I mean, in terms of both teams' analysis, I thought that in terms of West Brom, they were exactly what we thought they would be. Um, they were probably a little less... Um, intense should we say than, than the Barnsley team from last season we still saw the high squeeze we still saw very few patterns of play where we saw many passes strung together at once because of the intensity on both sides and that's partly because of Bournemouth as well you know for all the talk of Ishmael being a high pressing manager Scott Parker certainly is too and, and he won a few plaudits me included in relegation last season for being able to set up a team in Fulham not just to press but to press well I thought in the second half of the season they were pretty good at to, you know, going toe to toe with teams of, of higher quality and technical ability than them um, by employing that. So both teams employed it well. I think West Brom are, are very clearly lacking that kind of striker that I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as Robinson did do playing there. Um, but their set piece threat was was abundantly clear. The qualities uh, of certainly Kylan Grant, uh, Callum Robinson, and then also I thought Matt Phillips did very well when he came on too. Um, gives them a threat from open play. And for Bournemouth, it was a really good point, given the how thin their squad is at the moment. Um, whether they're going to recruit many more players, we'd expect them to get a couple. But there are so many players not available for selection, either due to injury or suspension, who are sitting in the stands on the day. Um, Jack Stacey, Jefferson Lerma being a couple of important ones, but plenty others too. So I think massive reason for... Um, optimism from both sets of supporters if I was a fan of either and that was the first time I'd seen my my side under a new manager uh, I'd have yeah cause for for optimism rather than concern yeah never a dull moment that's for sure I just want to touch on the youngest player on the pitch on Friday night and that was Bournemouth's Gavin Kilkenny in his only second ever league game I was really impressed with him. I think he had a very tough role to play right at the base of midfield in a 4-3-3 against a, a, a team that swarms you uh, when you have the ball as soon as you get it and often beforehand as well with a kind of quite an ambitious positioning of Billing and Marcondes, the other two central midfield players who were often, you know, 10 metres in front of him when he was trying to build the ball up from the back with West Brom players swarming all around him. I thought his composure was was very good. His decision-making was mostly pretty good um, and his passing range is impressive and ambitious, even if they don't always come off. I think I, I've got a nickname for him already, which is the big switch, because that's basically what he did every time he got the ball and he actually had a chance to take a touch and spray it. I just thought he did really well in, in the thick of quite an intense midfield battle uh, in only a second ever game. So that's one to watch for me. Gavin, the big switch, Kilkenny. Um, <laughs> I don't know when Ben, ben Pearson will return. I'm sure that, that he's kind of earmarked for that role, but I'm not sure he's got the passing range that we saw from Kilkenny and he coped pretty well out of possession as well. Um, for West Brom, it's just amazing to watch in person, isn't it? Very entertaining. They consistently made Bournemouth defend their six-yard box, um, even if it didn't feel like they were in full flow or whether they had gelled or clicked yet. 
you know, they create so many opportunities with this style for a bit of quality or a bit of luck to go their way. And if that style is repeatable, they're going to be a disaster to play against because you you have to stand up first and foremost to the physical test, which Bournemouth did 90% of the time. And even if you do that, they have the quality in the forward line to create chances in more sort of normal ways, uh, see the second goal for, for, for further detail on that front. So I think it's pretty scary for the rest of the league, uh, in my opinion. They, they did not look sure of themselves defensively, did they? Incredibly high line, as we know, Ishmael likes to play. Kipre looked rusty. Let's go with rusty. Um, but when you consider that they've got Semi Ajayi and Matt Clark to come in, probably for Kipre and O'Shea, although Dara O'Shea was brilliant, you know you can see that working a lot better as the season goes on. So I definitely left that game feeling confident that West Brom will finish above Bournemouth, as we had. Um, but but I didn't feel too negative about Bournemouth either. They played some good stuff. Um, I think Brooks will have an easier time playing against a back four than he does against a back five because his new position of well, on the touchline um, and Gavin, the big switch, Kilkenny, will be able to find him a little easier when there's one less defender in in, uh, in a back line. So that's something to watch as well. Let's move on to the team who are top of the league. Uh, their first game back at the level, Hull City. Now, we were quite bullish that, that the promoted teams come up in good shape and I think that the jury's still out as uh, on them as a whole because we had one team win by three goals, one team draw one all and the other lose by three goals. Hull were the ones who ended up rampant at Deepdale, George. They looked hungry and confident, didn't they? Really impressive opening day performance from the returning Tigers. Yeah, they couldn't have been more impressive. And um, I guess there are probably some Hull fans that would quite like Keen Lewis Potter to put in these kind of performances in September rather than August, um, given uh, the way that... um, yeah, the, the way that they've lost players in the past. And I think now is probably the time where we've got to stop talking about that. That's now consigned to ancient history. They are, you know, they're where they want, they're, they're where they were when that all happened. And they're back with the same manager in charge and a very good squad. And this performance just showed, I think, exactly what we um, thought would be the case, uh, where they are a side who were the best team in League One last season who came into this division having made a couple of shrewd additions and look set to be one of the better um, sides we've seen come up from from League One in a long time. Um, McGuinness, uh, another player who, I mean, I was almost surprised to see him start. I thought maybe Wilkes would start up front with one of the new um, signings playing out on the, on the right-hand side, but he looked very sharp indeed. Wilkes probably himself the one who disappointed li- a little bit. Um, but to, you know, on opening day of the season, um, a lot of these players first uh you know who who maybe weren't in the side a couple of years ago because it's a youthful team um to go one nil down away from home and to respond the way they did was so impressive um so yeah it's for preston especially i think there was a lot of unknowns going into the season um frankie mcavoy of course had a uh surprisingly impressive turn as caretaker manager at the back end of last season which means that he's still in the hot seat which looks after so many years of of hiring good managers to enable them to to overperform, uh, it looks like he's got a very tough ask indeed. And I, and I do wonder, given his lack of experience in the top job, how many chances he'll be given after a result like this. Um, because there looked to me to be a clear, basically, gap in quality between a side who've often punched above their weight in the championship uh, against one who've just come up from League One. But um, but yeah, I mean, for Lewis Potter, clearly the star of the show. Um, somebody who has so many different ways to hurt you, uh, whether it's his goal-scoring ability, you know, his aerial prowess, which is not something that we would necessarily expect given his stature. His delivery was so good on the day again. Um, and yeah, you could tell that he enjoyed 
the fans being back in the stadiums, given that he went straight over to the Preston home fans to celebrate in front of them. Yeah, Richie Smallwood was was key for Hull as well. Brilliant pass through to KLP for the first goal and, and scored a deflected strike to, to put Hull ahead. Louis Coyle, brilliant at right back as well. Ingram in goal made some good saves and he's obviously got what I consider to be quite stiff competition now with Nathan Baxter having signed on loan from Chelsea. Uh, Ingram was very good for Hull last season and deserves to start the season with the gloves and more performances like that and he should hold on to them. Uh, Hull's game against QPR next weekend I think will be an interesting test because as you mentioned Preston's collapse here was pretty alarming. That is no way to start the season and it does mean that after opening weekend we're always reminding ourselves you know let's let's see these impressive teams play uh, a, a couple of other sides and then we can work out their exact level. Posh I'm afraid we're on the, the wrong end of a a three-goal deficit. Uh, that was a 3-0 defeat against Luton Town. And I think here we probably saw the best player debut of the weekend, Fred Onyadinma of Luton Town, setting up two goals and then scoring the third as well at a bouncing Kenilworth Road. It looked like <laughs> a, a, a magnificent atmosphere. And why not? Because, of course, all summer, Luton, in the eyes of us and many, have been you know, tipped up as dark horses in a way that I think excites the fans. But then by the time the season starts, there must be a feeling of, oh, Jesus, like, let's not just let's not just chuck one in here. And uh, and they didn't. They were they were rampant. Posh had no answer really to the high press. And uh, I think that Onya Dinma, you know, find a bit of space, dinking across, add a bio back post header. I think that could be a bit of a copy and paste job this season. That's going to be a real threat. Uh, and this was all with... Gab Osho and Cal Naismith playing at centre-back, neither of whom I think would be Luton's first choice CBs, but we'll, we'll be putting that thought in the head of Nathan Jones because they were both excellent there. Um, Nathan seems pretty excited about what Luton can do by the looks of his interview. They've got West Brom and then Barnsley away in the next week or so, um, which are obviously very tough fixtures. But then I, I was wondering this, George, and we'll talk about Sheffield United. We might briefly mention Fulham. I kind of feel like it's a good time to play the relegated Premier League sides. Like people look and say, oh God, that's such a tough start. But you have to play them twice anyway. And arguably it's better to play them when they're not, when they haven't clicked yet, when they haven't jailed yet. So maybe that that works in Luton's favour, West Brom, uh, this weekend. As for Posh, their performance looked less than ideal. I was kind of alarmed to see the lack of squad depth. Maybe maybe that's something I should have noticed beforehand. I just need to see a much stronger performance from them against Derby next weekend because I, I certainly am not coming to any conclusions after one game of football. But that was a um, yeah alarm, but a, a, a small alarm bell, like a soft <laughs> one, a soft alarm started to ring there when it came to posh. They'll have to be better next time. You you you, you clicking snooze on that alarm <laughs> just until you see more. I'm snoozing it. I'm snoozing yeah. it. What's your optimal snooze length, by the way? I, <clears throat> I've, I'm a nine minutes guy. I hate I hate snoozing. Right. You're just either just, up or you're. I used to I used to snooze, and then I realised if you're going to snooze, just just stay asleep. Yeah. So so as soon as your alarm goes off, you're just straight I get up. up. Yeah. That's awesome. Well done. Well, I just you know it's just a waste way to sleep. The reason you snooze is because you like sleep, so just sleep then. Right. Okay. Um, as always, spot on analysis. <laughs> uh, what did you think of Stoke three, Reading two? I mean, it was quite a messy game, wasn't it? Like. In terms of how the the goals and how they came about, it was basically either set piece or deflected shot. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird game. Um, I was fairly uh, impressed with with Stoke in it. I mean, it's you and I are not um, particularly bullish on Reading's chances this season, so you have to take a three two home win against a side that we're concerned about. You can't get too excited. But I liked 
I mean, I think Francic, as we expected, um, adds something exciting to them, both in open play and in terms of set pieces. Uh, I Even though it wasn't um, his assist that got the... Um, you know, none of his set pieces got the got, got the assists. They were still dangerous. And I think that Nick Powell is going to be um, enjoying that delivery. And Francic also, I think, did the um, the dummy for Surridge's winner as well, which is one of those assists that doesn't show as an assist, but without he it. He also set up Swift's goal for Reading with a horrendous first touch, yeah, which was very true. unusual, rusty. Um, but I know, I mean, it was it was a, a perfect start for them. Um, you know, for, for Vyko Paunovic, he'd have been frustrated to to not pick up uh, a point late on. You know, you talk about lack of squad depth at, at Posh, and I think we're seeing something very similar at Reading, where until they can improve, somehow improve the depth in their squad, they're going to find it very hard to go the distance in games because you've either, you're either going to have a very tired team or you're going to have a team who have a, a quality deficiency, and that's the way it turned out um, after the game. There is a massive reliance with Reading on two of the most uh, inconsistent strikers in the EFL. Uh, you know, Lucas Joao is obviously a, a serious talent and a hell of a player, um, but days like Saturday where he just doesn't really turn up um, don't help. And then with George Puskas, you've got somebody, you know, if, if Joao has 25 good games a season and 20 bad ones, I think Puskas has about 10 good games a season and 35 bad ones. So um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's troubling, but after the injury played season last season, um, Swift is obviously a massive plus. And he looks to me like physically he's he's used that time to I bulk like, up a bit. I like his rebrand. Shaved yeah. all the hair off. I didn't Shaved recognize him muscle. at first. He was it's a bit, a bit he like was, you in 2017. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, <laughs> well, after I watched Peaky Blinders and thought I could pull off a bit of a Tommy Shelby. <laughs> Bought, yeah, a load, exactly. bought a load of um, collarless shirts. Um, he, he was he was immaculate, absolutely magnificent. Swift, uh, I must say, and yeah, as you mentioned, Reading they only named five subs, three of which have played around ten games combined for yeah. the club. So that kind of sums it up. Rinomota and Laurent were as good uh, as they were last season. Swift, as I say, magnificent. Joao was cold rather than hot. Um, from what I've seen on social media over the weekend. I think Reading and Preston fans probably the most concerned after one game. Pre- Preston fans more to do with the footballing side. Reading fans probably growing concern about what's happening off the field and the uncertainty there. And those two teams play against each other this weekend. So um, you can either look at that as an opportunity for one of the sort of early alarm bell clubs to, to, to get a win and get some confidence or look at it the other way. Whoever loses that game, there might be something of a of a meltdown, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Blackburn Rovers 2, Swansea City 1. Hands up who had Rovers generating four expected goals without Adam Armstrong playing. Um, it, it turns out that shot monster Adam Armstrong is now shot monster Brereton Diaz. <laughs> uh, he had seven shots in the game, the most in the EFL. Um, it was a hell of a game to watch. Swansea playing their part by playing that very extreme style of football without having ha- had much time to to um, to train it really um, you know it, just watching the, the highlights back on quest there's like four highlights in a row uh, either side of half time which are just Bender tapping a, a goal kick to a defender on his left or right and Swansea giving the ball away within five mm. to ten seconds and, and Blackburn having an opportunity I think I like what uh, Mowbray did he, he does some kind of funky stuff tactically actually uh, Mowbray in terms of where he positions players and maybe in unconventional uh, 
uh, in kind of un unconventional format, I guess is the right word, word to say. So like, for example, the tiny Tyrese Dolan was playing through the middle uh, of the front yeah. three up top with big Sam Gallagher and quite big Ben Britton Diaz either side of him. Um, and it worked really well. Dolan's pressing was excellent. He was just buzzing around, nicking the ball off defenders. Um, I know we went so big on him basically in the first month of last season as well when he burst onto the scene aged 18. But what a player for 19 years old. And yeah, look, it, it's definitely the best time to play Swansea. Um, we knew there'd be teething issues there. And I think Blackburn were fortunate to have this fixture now. But I just want to go a, a little bit of positivity on Rovers because it's not been the best summer for them. Armstrong absent here and seemingly off to Saints. I just sort of think it's easy to forget they do have some good players, some talented players. And at their best, Mowbray gets some quite fun stuff out of them. So hopefully they can use this performance and particularly, you know, how many chances they created to try and forget Armstrong and remember that one player does not make a whole team. And when you've got the likes of Pickering starting his Blackburn career, Rothwell, who seems to get better every time I see him play, Dolan, Britton, Diaz, you could say the same about uh, Lewis Travis back and fit and playing in midfield. I, I think there's, you know, there, there, there can be excitement and positivity there when it comes to Rovers. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the most interesting game we're going to cover on the podcast because one of two things has, has happened in my opinion either we've been sleeping on Blackburn and their continuity over the summer as you're mentioning given the quality they do have is actually a reason for optimism given the way they played or Swansea were absolutely terrible and we're, and we're going to see that play out in the next couple of weeks it was <sighs> I'm keen not to, having said on Friday on Sky, which I still believe that, you know, we need to do Russell Martin um, a fair a fair trial, if that makes sense. We can't expect too much too early. It was really alarming to hear his post-match um, comments to me where, you know, for a manager who I've basically enjoyed his way of talking about football more than anybody else's over the last 12 months, for him to come out afterwards and say that they deserve more on the basis of the fact that they were 2-0 down and then put the pressure on was just like startling. It was, it's just incorrect. It was total, you know, were they hanging on at the end? Yeah, you know, you, you were putting on the pressure due to the quality you've got on the ball when you were ahead. Um, Game State played a massive part in that. Which team created the best chance in that last half an hour? Blackburn on the break with Rothwell, I think, shooting, trying to dink it over Bender and then um, Diaz uh, getting onto it late, Brereton Diaz getting onto it late and, and hitting the post. Um, so did, that did you know, I think you know, I haven't really mentioned this because I, I can't tell if I'm proud or embarrassed, but well, you're, you're sure. I got a bit drunk over the summer <laughs> and paid way too much for a Brereton Diaz chili shirt. <laughs> I think I think it's great. I think it's um, <laughs> it's it's on brand. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I just, if I was a Swansea fan, I, I'm, you know, it's important to have a big picture mentality here. And I think all the Swansea fans want to play that Russell Martin wants to want to play the way that Russell Martin wants to play. They'd have been frustrated to see um, the amount of times they were they were caught trying to play out the back. I don't think Bender looks to me to be a natural goalkeeper with the ball at his feet, which is what they're going to need to have at some point in that role. They're being linked to players who look to me like they would suit the way they want to play. James Garner was one. Um, there was another I saw yesterday, but I can't remember who it was. Um, Flynn Downs? Flynn Downs, exactly. Um, but it, there's no need for Martin to try and dress up what was a disappointing performance against the Blackburn side who've created so many goal scoring opportunities 
um, who pressed well. And, you know, the, the impressive thing from my point of view is that Russell Martin's only been there for, you know, for, for six days. And he's gone to a side in Blackburn who, under the same manager, had pretty much the highest possession stats in, in the championship last season and had 70, 71% possession. So he's getting through to the players. There's no doubt about that. Um, Let's yeah, just hope that they trust the process. Exactly. So trust the process. Don't dress it up as being, you know, this was brilliant. We, we deserved a lot more out of that game. You didn't. You didn't. But that's not to say that it won't come soon. Well, I mean, th- there was a few murmurs on social that the the back three as was, uh, Cabango, Bennett, Latibudier, are, are, are potentially never going to be this, the right players to play out to such an extreme example. And I should say Cabango played an incredible pass for Cullen. Um, who should have finished off a chance that would have put them 1-0 up in the first half. So I've got high hopes for Cabango. And I think for someone who has played so much football at such a young age, at centre-back, in a two, in a three, who physically is very impressive, um, if Martin can improve him technically by you know, 50%, then he will be playing in the Premier League within 18 months. That's That's pretty simple. So there's an argument that even though he will potentially make some high profile errors although I think it was his colleagues that 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 provided most of those on the weekend you know Cabango actually will probably benefit massively from this uh, and will make him more even more attractive to Premier League clubs and and could kind of um, raise his ceiling even further so a few things to watch there Um, yeah as you say that was an interesting game Um, and I'm glad that we've kind of chewed over it a little bit Um, we're, we're not we're not we're desperately trying not to come out with conclusions but yeah some of these games more interesting than others now how about Bramall Lane under the lights uh Sheffield United back in the championship and losing their first game at home to Birmingham uh, Birmingham were were absolute class acts in this game you have to say yeah. which was exciting because we felt that that something had changed positively and sustainably this summer for, for Birmingham which is not something we'd said for well, the whole time we've done this podcast where they have almost exclusively finished between sort of 18th and 21st. Um, they love opening day as Ryan Deeney, who is on our Not The Top 20 squad on Leveller, which you can find out more about uh, in the description of this podcast. And if you follow the link in our bio on Twitter as well, if you want to find out more about it, you can uh, get a two-week free trial if you'd like to join the squad. It was absolutely buzzing over the weekend. We had some incredible match previews, match reports, loads of people at games sharing pictures and videos. It was a joyous place and we really think we're building quite the impressive community there. We'd love you to be a part of it uh, if you want to check out the NTT20 squad. Just follow the link in the description. Uh, But Birmingham now have won their last three opening day games. Uh, The first two were against Brentford, uh, the famous famous game where they had one shot and it was a Pedersen header from outside the box which flew into the top corner. Uh, They beat them last season as well. I think it was a Bella header. Uh, And in this game, it was Maxime Collin uh, at the back post who who exploited a clear weakness in Sheffield United's starting 11, um, which they did time and time again. So really impressive game plan from Boya, George. Really positive stuff for Blues, who were also the the longest odds winners uh, this weekend. The least likely side in the EFL to win that did. Well, that's according to Betfair, but not according to you. <laughs> Picked them on the betting show, did you not? Well done. Well done. What, what a start to the Betfair partnership, picking out their biggest price winner in the betting show. Uh, yeah, hopefully a few people were on that listened. Um, yeah, and it kind of fell in the way that we thought, where Sheffield United are a little bit short at the moment. You know, you mentioned that now isn't the worst time to play Premier the Premier League relegated clubs, and that's definitely the case with Blades, who, um, I mean, I think they're 
team is going to look very, very different in a month's time. It wouldn't be a massive surprise to me if we saw two players of that 11 moving on in the next month or so and plenty coming in as well. So, um, and they're, they're short of match practice after a kind of stunted um, summer as well. For Birmingham, what I love is that there isn't some huge rebrand going on at Blues. You know, Bowyer isn't coming in as many modern managers do and say, right, we're going to tear up the way that we play and we're going to start playing a new way. It's still going to be basically pretty counter-attacking. It's still going to be um, fairly in terms of, of the way they attack. It's not going to be controlling the game um, deep in the pitch, but they're coupling that kind of doggedness and resoluteness with an attacking edge as well, which is something we just haven't seen for a long time. Um, it was great, to, you know, if you're looking at the balance of chances, whilst Sheffield United outshot Birmingham 16-9, I think it was Birmingham who had the better chances, they didn't score as well, um, which is which is great. And um, with more quality to come in, you know, Jordan Graham didn't feature on Saturday, who I think given the way that they set up, it's going to suit him pretty well um, with his delivery into Djukovic and Hogan. Um, I'm really positive and excited about this. This wasn't a smash and grab in the same way that those two uh Brentford wins that you mentioned were this was a side who worked out how they were going to break down a a team who were going to dominate the possession how they were going to be comfortable without the ball um and to hold on to a lead for the length of time they did you know they took the lead after 90 minutes um and were were fairly cozy throughout was was mightily impressive in the way they controlled the game so yeah I think this is looking of all of their opening day wins, this is the one where I'm happy to be like, yes, that is a, a, a positive start, both in terms of result and performance for, for Birmingham. I think one of the things I said in the 1-24s to was I would like to see them develop another side to their attacking game outside of Djukovic, backstick headers and set-piece goals, which is how they stayed up at the back end of last season, was very, very effective for them in picking up those points. Um, and the answer might be Chong on loan from Manchester United, who played an incredible game, his first in the championship, who was a constant thorn in the side of Sheffield United, who was, you know, he's a very talented, gifted, skillful player, um, but certainly not someone that came down and, and didn't really look up for it. He he threw himself about. Um, I was really impressed with the areas that he picked the ball up in and then what he did with that. Certainly not a luxury player, and yet for Birmingham could be that extra dimension, by which I mean, yes, they will probably still focus first and foremost on a solid structure and making sure they don't get overrun. Um, you can see that with you know the back three with Connor as right wing back with Woods and Gardner who are probably happier in in their own half than in the fine in the opposition's half. But if they can form that structure with Djukovic and Hogan doing what they do up front and Chong can really be that extra dimension. Bella as well was excellent on the left. So yeah, really encouraged, really excited. Uh, as mentioned, a good time to play Sheffield United while they're still working out how exactly they're going to use that 75% possession that they had. Mm. Um, uh, you know, they will get a lot better, that's for sure. And only really Sander Berge stood out for them, right? So, uh, but I mean, what a performance from him. Mm. It was like... Uh, Birmingham took the Lord of the Rings approach, like bring him down, Legolas. <laughs> I think I think three separate players were booked for bringing him down. But George, you've always had a real thing for 
you know, centre midfielders who just carry the ball and glide through the centre of the pitch. And I think that's what Berge might bring us. So I'm pretty excited about that. If um, he if he if he stays. If I mean he's he definitely stays. he's on that short list of players that I think might not be there by the end of August. Hey, but at least he's playing. At least he's up he seems up for it. He's not yep. throwing his toys out the pram and that's always good to see. Um let's move on to Coventry two, Forest one. This was the last game of the weekend on Sunday. Now I couldn't watch this one live, which I was sad about. It sounded, George, like I missed a bit of Callum O'Hare magic, um, a particular nutmeg on Jack Colback in the build-up to the equaliser caught the eye. And from what I've read and the match reports that we've had sent to us on Twitter and on the NTT20 squad, yeah, kind of sounds like they were pretty good Forrest at, at nil-nil and then took the lead with a really nice goal. And then everything kind of turned from that point, which is disappointing. Yeah, I, I think that's about right. It felt like Forrest, another team who, who need... Um, I think just a few more. Uh, although I mean, having Zinkenagel coming off the bench should be strong, but they—they they, just felt like they're tired in the second half. Basically, they were impressive in the first half. You mentioned Brennan Johnson. It felt to me like this was kind of a game where the two young starlets—you um, know—talk about ball carriers. Brennan Johnson and and Callum O'Hare were the two outstanding players on on each team. Really, um, two guys who every every year we talk about the the new cream of the crop in the championship and we see them develop and then move on to, to the Premier League. I'm pretty sure that those are going to be two guys we're going to be talking about quite often uh, as being the next to step up. And they showed it. Um, Johnson with just a brilliant run down the right-hand side and then crucially with the quality to lift his head and pick out Lyle Taylor in the middle for, for a tap-in. Then O'Hare, as you mentioned, creating the, the winner with a, a brilliant bit of skill, which is exactly what we know that he does, uh, coupled with serious energy off the ball which will make him very attractive to anybody um looking to to pick him up um the yeah the compa- comparisons to a, a new manchester city signing um i think will start to grow louder and louder as as his star kind of continues to rise um you know we don't want to talk too much about the whole fans and stadiums thing because you know this is a football co- podcast and we want to analyze the games but again this is one of those stories that you just have to touch on where for commentary fans who so spent all of last season um, watching their home games? Well, the last two seasons, firstly at St Andrews, watching the watching the games, and having to sit on the sofa and watch them play at you know home in air quotes uh, at St Andrews. Now back at their home, you know, back where they belong, literally, uh, and scoring a 95th minute uh, winner from their, their big centre back, who's been been around for a while, um, was was massive. I mean, there's no doubt that Bryce Samba should have saved it. It was very, very poor um, to to get the hand on it that he didn't stop it from, from going over the line. You could tell by his reaction that he was frustrated for it. But even though it was a very tight game, even though I think Forrest were quite clearly the better side in the first half, given the way the commentary finished, um, you can't begrudge them the three points. And it just feels, you know, it was interesting. I spoke to, I mean, this is a, a different league, but Chris Wilder on Friday said to to me and to you, I think, I think it was to both of us, how... When you are one of the smaller teams in the league, I think he was talking to, about Sheffield United, and you lose a few early games, suddenly the hard games stack up and you and you wonder where the next points are going to come from. I think for a side like Coventry, where whilst they won't have aspirations, they have aspirations loftier than just staying up, it feels like wins like this are very important just in terms of getting points on the board and therefore when you do face the Fulham, when you do face your Bournemouths, um, Sheffield United, uh, you know, you're not feeling like you need the points in order to stay there. They're, they're a bit of a free hit. So I think this is a big result um, for them just to, 
I'll try not to use your favourite word momentum, but just to continue on the good work that we saw last season and to prove to themselves and to everybody else that they are a team that are going to have to, that you can't write off as being one of the likely ones for relegation purely on the basis that they have one of the smaller budgets. We had five one-all draws out of 12 games in the Championship. Uh, Fulham won, Borough won, Bristol City won, Blackpool won. Injury time equaliser from uh, Lavery, who Blackpool signed over the summer. Uh, Derby won, Huddersfield won, Cardiff won, Barnsley won, and QPR won, Millwall won. In terms of the pick of the draws, George, I think it is probably that game at Loftus Road. Uh, Atmosphere, amazing. What looked like and sounded like a very high-quality game as well. And two absolute pod favourites with two absolute (laughs) crackers to kick off the season. Yeah, well, great goals from uh, from Jed Wallace and, and Rob Dickey. Uh, I mean, Dickey's performance was extraordinary. I mean, I'm, even as his biggest fan, seeing him <laughs> just consistently stepping out of defence and um, doing, yeah, I mean, amazing. He and a, a great strike as well. Not the first time, of course, we've seen him just wally it in from uh, from thirty yards. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are two no, he sides. Completed who... the, he completed the most dribbles on the pitch. <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's incredible. I'm a bit concerned uh, what you mentioned earlier about who are you talking about having a really good start to the season? Lewis Potter. Yeah. I'm a bit concerned about that for Dickey. I'm, yeah. I'm a little concerned that he starts the season so well that Southampton just chuck like 15 million quid at QPR and say, you know, what have you got? How much of that goes to Oxford? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is definitely possible. I think if, you're, if you were going to make a list of players who, you know, there's been rumours of... Uh, certainly, Burnley being interested earlier on in the in the in the summer, um, but yeah, if you're if you're Dicky, you know, would you take a move to Burnley? You're probably thinking, I'd like to skip that move, thanks, and go to a side um, kind of a, a you know, a, uh, I I don't, don't know how many Burnley guess. fans will be listening. I don't want to upset them, but you know, just that one other um, level up in in the Premier League, and also one that suits his style of play because he's a brilliant ball player. Um, but yeah, this was I think just two very good sides cancelling out each other um who'll leave with each other's respect and we'll hope that that soon they can get their first win because i don't think they'll be waiting for too long it's funny you say leave with each other's respect because an unnamed millwall player shared <laughs> shared with me that rob Dickey, respect <laughs> that rob dickie's performance was the best centre-back performance against millwall since ben white at the den uh, so pretty high praise from an unnamed millwall footballer there uh, about rob dickie and uh shared points in the end two teams that we think will go pretty well this season let's move to league one now where at the top of the table Rotherham United first in our 1 to 24s of course I think we should just stop the season here Uh, they beat Plymouth Argyle 2-0 I think the suggestion here is that Rotherham put in a very Rotherham in league one performance scored two very Rotherham in league one goals by which I mean one was um, uh, uh, sort of scrambled in after a set piece where they've always looked threatening at this level and above uh, and then a, a sort of really speedy uh, attack with intent with Smith who is I always think slightly unfairly and wrongly categorised as just a, a big lump target man because he absolutely loves running channels uh, and that's what he did in the build up for the second goal pulled defenders out of position low cross which found its way to Ben Wiles who finished brilliantly into the top corner um, Wes Harding had a great game for, for Rotherham uh, they they went three at the back, I think, and, and Harding as a sort of outside centre-back, which for a guy who I think naturally is considered a centre-back, but who's quite often been put out to right-back, maybe because he's just a little undersized, perhaps, I think that position will suit him really well. So a good start for, for Rotherham. I think Argyle will just be a little bit despondent about the fact that 
clearly the key objective over the summer was to improve defensively and they didn't really stand up to that to the Rotherham test now um, yeah we think this is a, a, as tough as it gets really in League One so um, you know with Ennis having pulled up in the warm-up I think conditions were against Argyle I'm, I'm not I'm not going to worry too much based on this performance I'll keep a close eye on them over the next few weeks but Rotherham really without needing to get out of third gear because they're their two first half goals um, had this one in the bag really at that point so good start for the Millers really good start for Sunderland George they beat Wigan 2-1 this was kind of the the standout fixture I would say in the League One weekend and it didn't disappoint that the first 15 minutes Wigan were swarming all over Sunderland and took the lead uh, and I was bit concerned for 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 the black cats and their 31 and a half thousand fans but then for the next hour they took complete control and and we finished this game both feeling pretty impressed and quite excited for this Sunderland side and and what what could develop from here definitely definitely feeling excited about about it um they, I still think they need about five players uh, I don't know if we're going to see them come in necessarily I can't say I'm very happy to see Carl Winchester lining up at right back, um, you know, only what, eight months, seven months after joining to be then you kind of midfield linchpin and then Luke Nine, the, the man who played right back for most of last season, then centre back suddenly playing back in centre midfield again. But, you know, that that was that would have been my analysis at five past three on Saturday. Um, whereas now, having kind of seen the way that they went about it, it kind of reminds me a bit of Blackburn, really, where so often in pre-season you can get so caught up in transfers and personnel that you forget that actually having a very good manager with a group of players and a bit of continuity um, is probably worth more, to be honest, uh, in terms of the way that they're drilled. And they were so good. Uh, I think Embleton put in the performance that, you know, if anybody, if anybody doubted the merit of having him back in the squad and the lunacy of letting him go and play for Blackpool last season, um, is yeah, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. For I think for Stewart to get the first goal of the season um, when sharing a pitch with Charlie White will do him the world of good because whether you are, um, I mean, when you are a striker who is replacing somebody who scored a lot of goals, it's always going to come with a lot of pressure. But at Sunderland, um, I feel like that pressure is even higher uh, when you've got 30,000 fans there um, who you know, deserve a lot of credit for their passion, but also maybe aren't the most patient bunch. Um, it'll be huge for him to get that first goal. Uh, and he put in, and he won the penalty as well. It was a, a match-winning performance from Stewart that'll buy him a bit of time and give him a bit of confidence. Um, I'd, I'd love to I see be... him. I'd love to see them back him as the number nine to start the season. I'm sure they'll look for more depth and and that'll be interesting to know who they go for. Will they go for a maybe a Premier League loanee untested and allow Stewart to keep that position and a, a loanee to sort of ease in off the bench? Or will they go for a marquee signing, someone to really challenge and you know someone who, who will arrive with the expectation of being number nine? I just think that you know, outside of White last season, it was uh, Max Power with five goals was their second top goal scorer. So it was wonderful to have a player that scored at the rate that White did. But I really think in almost every aspect of, of the individual skill set of a striker and what that does for the team around you, Stewart is a, a more exciting option to make Sunderland better as a team. Crucially, in terms of his mobility, his you know he is tall and he scored a towering header above a centre back from a set piece, which is great, and that's what White did really well last season from McGeady's deliveries. But he's also much more happier running the channels, much happier um, pressing, and all that comes with that, I think, helps the team massively. So, yeah, really positive about him. Uh, even more so when I found out on Sunday that they are calling him the Loch Ness Drogba 
uh, which really tickled me, uh, especially after I had been uh, trying to push that Embleton. I've been trying to push Embleton as the Durham Santi Cazorla for about three years because he famously takes corners with both feet, as we saw yeah. him swinging in a brilliant left-footed delivery um, for Ross Stewart's goal. Um, we should mention Callum Doyle as well because you kind of raise your eyebrows and you, and you understand the excitement of opening day and a, and a player's debut when you see a set of fans saying this player will play for England this player will captain England I even saw one or two shouts and you think yeah yeah okay cool let's let's all calm down a bit I have watched some Callum Doyle clips from the weekend and of all the players in League One because of his age because he's a Man City youngster because of his profile left-footed centre-back who aged 17 is already looks physically dominant I'd be pretty confident that he has a very good chance of playing for England one day and I'm pretty excited about this signing and we get basically to see two years of him playing at the heart of the Sunderland defence that's very exciting Sunderland rode out some late pressure from Wigan I don't want to say that this was the most comfortable dominant win because Wigan had big spells and uh, I expect that they will improve as well uh, and a great day for Sunderland and their fans also a good day for Wigan Wanderers George who back in League One started the season really quickly flew into a two-goal lead at home to Accrington saw it out winning 2-1 um, and that fast start was what it was all about really impressive stuff they played three at the back system um, which we haven't always seen Ainsworth go with they had Jordan Abita left wing back McCarthy right wing back and then Jacobson and Grimmer who sort of nominally full backs playing as outside centre backs which I always think is quite fun um, and allows Jacobson kind of extra protection I think and the ability to play a lot of wedged long passes forward onto the head of Sam Vokes or Bayer Akinfema, which is, is where he thrives. So McCleary was clearly the star here. Uh, his second goal was taken brilliantly. Definitely benefited for both goals for some terrible Accrington defending, which was quite out of character, I thought. Um, but brilliant finish for the second and great celebration as well, taking his hair tie off and sort of pinging it at his teammates. Yeah. I, I enjoyed well, it. he pinged it at his teammates for the first one and for the second one, he just pinged it into the distance. <laughs> yeah, just sort of <clears> real <throat> schoolboy classroom stuff, that which I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, this was, it, it's very hard, I think, to ever do what Wickham did to to a John Coleman team, um, basically. There are some teams you'd think of as being quite soft and therefore getting at them early on, um, someone like McCleary winning the second balls and, and, and getting shots off basically on sight. Um, but Accrington are normally pretty re resolute and stand up to that stuff, but not this time. Um, yeah, and they were, in fairness to, to Wickham as well, it wasn't like they went 2-0 up and sat on their lead. They continued to attack. Um, definitely something of a sh shoot on site policy. I think they had 17 shots in the game, of which nine were outside the area. Um, but that is the you know attritional and positive nature of, of Gareth Ainsworth's football. Um so, yeah, a, an important start to the season for them, again, off the back of a really disappointing relegation where um, I think most of their fans feel a bit hard done by. Um, yeah, important to, to for them to prove to the rest of the league, to us, uh, not that we matter, but just, you know, I think the general consensus is, yeah, they were very good last season in the Championship. Are they good enough to be one of the best teams in the division this season? Probably not quite. Um, it'll be that that is fueling their desire to, to prove people wrong because that's normally where the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's 
us against them, normally with Gareth Ainsworth, and, and it was a good start to, to their battle to prove people wrong again. Scowan had a, an impressive debut in midfield, the sort of performance that has people tweeting things like Josh Scowan would tackle his gran if he had the opportunity, or, <laughs> or rather if she was in possession of a football. Um, and he was playing alongside Ollie Pendlebury, who's a kind of a new name for me, certainly in senior football, because uh, he was picked up this summer after being released by Reading straight into the starting eleven. So that's always going to catch your eye. And I think um, had some had some good moments. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, you know, after what we said about Reading and their squad depth and particularly, you know, ready-made backups for Rinomota and Laurent when they tire. Uh, it does seem peculiar that someone who was England under-16 captain uh, about four years ago um, you would let him go for free, but Pendlebury straight into the side there. So Ainsworth obviously likes the look of him. Uh, Fleetwood nil, Pompey one was uh, was a strange one because I was watching this one in at Quest and how Fleetwood weren't three nil up after half an hour. I don't know. Um, a mixture of poor finishing and some last ditch defending from Pompey, but in general play, Fleetwood looked comfortably the better side, much more threatening, um, and, and 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 Pompey had to sort of ride that out really with a bit of fortune six shots inside the box three big chances missed uh they hit the woodwork as well although curtis did too with a long-range free kick um so i guess on that front i'm kind of impressed with how cowley's changes at half time allowed his side to sort of wrestle back control and in the end you know the the, the correct winners based on the second half performance at nil nil uh, ryan tunnicliffe certainly started to get on the ball more and to dictate so cowley mentioned that they they made some tweaks at half time and Look, George, this is what we, we often come back to with Danny Cowley and, and people who haven't followed his career as closely as some other managers. One of the things that we think he really excels at is making changes in-game. He, he seems to read the game very well tactically and he seems to be able to make changes for the better. And, and that's a really tough skill in management and, and one that a lot of other managers at the level who might be incredible motivators or um, wonderful, have great contacts in the transfer market. You know, sometimes that's where managers fall down. Not so in the case of Cowley. And that's a big benefit for this Pompey side. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that that first half was, was pretty disappointing uh, up against the side of Fleetwood, who, you know, despite having a, a very competent manager in Simon Grayson, um, you look at the two first 11s on show and you wouldn't have thought, even with, you know, we, we've now got a, after a season where home advantage had a questionable um, advantage. You know, you've now got to look at these tricky away games. Another thing that Cowley mentioned in his post-match was about the, the journey up to Fleetwood. Um, so all these things that normally the case, coupled with the fact that, that you know, it was Fleetwood's first game at home with fans, uh, with a full house for a long time, um, make this just a really impressive, you know, not smash and grab, but like a proper dog it away win where they had to, um, you know, Bass had to make the saves to keep them in it at nil-nil, and then they were able to, on a very tight game, get the goal to to get them clear. Um, he probably would have hoped for a bit more from his forward players. Uh, Curtis nearly scored a very good free kick, but we saw very little of Marquis or Harness, um, and not a great deal of depth again at the moment. Although they have brought a couple of a couple of players in recently, so you know it's it's a a really big important three points would we be saying that Pompey were the most impressive team this weekend not by any stretch but that doesn't really matter at this stage and, and in Cowley they've got a manager and a tactician who we can have a lot of faith in Fleetwood with a couple of youngsters in their starting 11 we spoke about how they're kind of cutting their cloth accordingly uh, when it comes to the, the state of their squad compared to previous seasons uh, James Hill the centre-back who has now probably played about 
40, 50 games at senior level for Fleetwood, only 19 still. Um, and I heard over the weekend that he has quite a lot of interest in him from the championship. So that's certainly one to watch. Played at the heart of the back three um, with 33-year-old Tom Clark next to him uh, and Danny Andrew to the other side. Uh, they've also got Shaden Morris, who, again, was kind of making one of his first starts in a Fleetwood shirt. 19-year-old winger who, you know, I said how impressed I was with them in the first half. A lot of the times I was looking up and, and Morris was darting past players for fun. So he's he's a really exciting player to watch, I think, and uh, and someone I'll be keeping an eye on. Jay Matete, of course, is a massive favourite of mine. Um, wasn't in the squad. Some suggestion that... He has championship interest uh, after his performances for Grimsby, second half of last season on loan. Um, he's just got the sort of profile of a midfielder that you really want in your team because he's all action and, and has quality and goal threat as well as being, you know, a bit just just tireless out of possession and a, a real nuisance. So that's one to watch as well when it comes to Fleetwood. Uh, George, do you want to talk about Shrews nil, Burton one, or Doncaster one, Wimbledon two first? I think Donny one, Wimbledon two is where I'm going to go here. Um, this was, yeah, it was, a, it was a great game. I mean, AFC Wimbledon are, are probably one of the teams that I'm most intrigued by um, this season. And they, for a young side, again, very impressive to come from behind um, when 1-0 down and win the game. I was surprised to see Oli Palmer start ahead of Aaron Presley, uh, the, the the striker that's come in from, um, from Brentford. But... I think Asal and I'm sorry McCormick. The, I mean, whilst being the two goal scorers, were the two standout players on the day. They are two very exciting young talents. I mean, very very different uh, pathways in the game. It's fair to say, you know, Asal, a player who's come through at Wimbledon and has made um, the step up to the first team very quickly on the back of of Mark Robinson's um, appointment, and now you know now has a number ten shirt for for the club. Whereas McCormick. The old Chelsea youth player who's um, had to drop down into League One on a permanent deal in order to get regular game time. But there's no two more exciting um, young players to be seeing this year. And I think the way that Wimbledon are going to look to play this season in terms of getting the ball down, playing like an unbelievably high tempo um, and looking to get the ball into feet of those players. Uh, I, I do think eventually Presley will be the target man over, over Palmer. So getting the ball into his feet, having those players buzzing around him uh, Ridoni probably the other one of the three it's going to be exciting and this was probably the worst possible game for Richie Weddens to have as his first game in charge because it's a game that Doncaster fans would look at on see on paper and think yeah that should be our three points whereas I think this will age pretty well because I think they are, they came up against a very very good team on the day um, with, a, with a lot of quality so many debutants for Richie Weddens' Doncaster side at the front three that we think will be there First choice front three that involves Bogle and Okunabire. Uh, none of those guys were fit to start. So it was a, a different front three as well. Um, and, and lots of excuses basically for what was nonetheless a pretty disappointing performance, especially having taken a lead that I don't think they really deserved on balance of play. Um, nicking a goal straight after half time um, through Charlie Seaman. And yeah, that's kind of why I'm impressed uh, with Wimbledon because we had been told at half time they've been the better side they obviously get rocked straight after half time and um found a way to continue to impose themselves not to lose their heads and just continue being the better side and turn the game around that's the sort of thing perhaps that Wimbledon haven't had the belief to do over the last few years and I think that's something that we think Mark Robinson has given them um real belief in what they're doing and that that's exciting as for Shrews nil Burton one it was never going to be high scoring was it and and it was kind of more of the same Certainly in terms of Burton and, and how they got the win here, 
clean sheet, um, which I think they had nine of in the second half of last season, having conceded about three a game in the first half of the season, winning the goal, uh, winning the game with a goal from a set piece. Um, this time it was Brayford heading home. Uh, and Johnny Smith, kind of a, a real live wire, just giving them, outside of what is a, a very well-drilled and structured team that, that pretty much kept Shrews at bay, Smith is, is their star man, and he's the one that's going to give them an extra spark. And I think, you know, if they are going to continue to be a team that play unbelievably low-margin football, um, games with very few clear-cut chances, if they are going to continue to fall on the right side of that, um, then Smith's going to be the star, I think, uh, and he looked like he's going to be a real problem this season for opposition defences. Very, very sharp indeed. Six draws in the 12 games in League One. Charlton nil, Sheffield Wednesday nil, Cambridge 1, Oxford 1, Gills 1, Lincoln 1, Crewe and Cheltenham also drew 1-1, and then the most exciting games were really Ipswich 2, Morecambe 2, Macaulay Bond with a late equaliser after two impressive Coles Stockton goals, and Bolton 3, MK Dons 3, probably the game of the whole weekend in the EFL. Which of those, George, do you have something important to say about? I think we've got to mention Crew, um, if not specifically about this game, because they are in a bit of disarray at the moment, because Charlie Kirk, Tommy Lowry and Tommy Huben, um, none of them featured in the game, none of them featured in the squad. Rumours that Lowry and Kirk are both set to leave the club. Rumours that Huben, who came in this summer, um, is planning on retiring from football to become a financial advisor mm. now just don't know at this stage just rumors we don't know if that's necessarily true uh, it sounded like the kind of thing that probably wasn't true until he suddenly wasn't in the start and it wasn't in the squad on saturday um this has come at an unbelievably bad time for, for david artel and crew not just because the season has just started but also you have to anticipate that the decisions to sell perry and g harry pickering ryan wintle were made with some forward planning in, in terms of who they were going to keep at the club. Um, if those players they thought they were going to be able to keep are now leaving, the team looks immediately much weaker. Um, they didn't play particularly well on against uh, a Cheltenham side who were exactly what we anticipated them to be, although Cheltenham's goal from Andy Williams did come from a, a, a very, very poor back pass. So they were kind of architects of their own downfall there. The one, you know, I'm somebody who gets kind of quite nerdy about passing stats and touch stats and stuff and i don't know if this will will carry very well over in podcast form but i looking at the, the crew pass map uh and touches map there um it was bizarre basically they they attempted 467 passes in the game which is quite a lot for league, for league one side had 626 touches daniels and and, and offered accounted for 88 and 93 of those attempted passes Ramsey 69 um Adebisi 75 so they are that is taking up like a, a a bizarre proportion of their touches they were basically unable to get the ball into Dale and even Mandrin who you think is the player that they would look to get the ball into in playoff uh, or or Ainley Dale only attempted 11 passes in the game he had uh, 29 touches at only 26 so something to watch out for there I mean Offord had 112 passes of the ball uh, 112 touches of the ball, sorry. I mean, we we um, literally spoke about how in League Two, all of their touches came from three players, and that was yeah. Perry and G, Harry Pickering, and Ryan Wintle, but none of whom were at the club. So yeah. those touches need to be they replaced. They look a bit lost. At yeah, the and moment, and as he... you've said, interestingly, offered Daniels the two centre-backs and Adebisi and Ramsey the full-backs. Um, you know, that's not unusual, but you need to be confident that those guys are going to be able to progress the ball as well as those three did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, t to be clear, normally it's it is um, 
it is, it's normal for defenders to have the most touches. That's not the that's not the um, that's not the point. No, it's more just the ratio. The oh my god, I sound like a seventeen year old on Twitter. It's the um, yeah the proportion the proportion of touches that is bizarre and that can't be a, a tactic. Well, I think that came across very well, George, and that's exactly the sort of analysis I want from you on the Monday pod. So more of that, please. Something to watch for uh, crew. Yeah, as I say, Bolton 3, MK3 was just full of excitement and joy and goals. Quality ones uh, from Sheehan and, and Twine, who scored free kicks from almost the exact same spot. Uh, great to see uh, both of those players obviously played together last season in the first half of the campaign at Newport, uh, making great starts to the League One season. Uh, and Morecambe's performance, very impressive at Ipswich. Uh, Stockton doing everything he did last season, one level up, and maybe that should be no surprise. He looks so confident, took his two goals really well. Ipswich had, you know, a lot of, a little bit like Sheffield United's performance, perhaps a good time to play them in that they did have a lot of the ball, a lot of possession, uh, and didn't necessarily penetrate that well as these players are all kind of getting used to each other. But we certainly saw in flashes uh, that Scott Fraser goal of how well this group of players can play if they do start combining well. Uh, and, and and we saw their strength in numbers as well with Bon and Norwood coming off, off the bench with 20 minutes to go uh, and Bon poaching uh, the equaliser goal, as, as I'm sure he will continue to do. Um, League Two, I think we welcome Hartlepool United by kicking off with their 1-0 win against Crawley. Um, first time back at the level after, I think, four seasons away for, for Pools. Uh, and really good scenes when Hollahan scored a really nicely taken winning goal. Mm. Hollahan was there last season. In fact, he was their third top scorer. Of course, we kept banging on about how they missed Oates and they missed Armstrong. Um, over the summer, they left and are now playing for other League Two clubs. I note that Armstrong scored for Harrogate, which would have been a tough one for Hartlepool to take. Um, and, but... Hollahan's still there and clearly offers a, a goal threat from midfield. I, I, I hope to see more of the same there. Dan, who's part of the NTT20 squad, was at the game. Actually, he was one of the people that was on the train with John Yems um, before and after the game, <laughs> which Yems uh, referred to in his incendiary, uh, his, his sort of typical incendiary post-match interview, which went viral as always. Um, Dan said that there basically were very few chances in this game. Tom Nichols was out and Crawley looked kind of bereft of creativity without him which isn't that surprising neither side looked particularly coherent he said in build-up play but Jamie Sterry right back for Hartlepool looked really threatening now I remember Sterry kind of from football manager purposes he was always a Newcastle reserve player that you could get on loan or on a free was always pretty good for the for the lower EFL divisions and um, I know he's been a key man for Hartlepool over the last few years so uh, one to watch for them uh, and yeah that John Yem's interview is is not something that I'm too interested in or worried about. Um, firstly, to say that obviously he cuts off the interviewer within about three words in every single question, which obviously is quite tedious. Um, but people saying, oh, I feel terrible for the media guy. I mean, he has tweeted and said him and John are really yeah. close and they get on really well and he loves him and he doesn't care. So, you know, don't waste too much sympathy for someone who who, who doesn't seem to, to want it. Um, and it's the sort of interview that for a lot of other managers would set alarm bells ringing after one game of the season. But I, I just I just think that's what he does. And so I'm not that I'm not that fussed about it personally. Um, yeah, I think I think we should. should we, I should we say we're not going to talk about John Yems's post-match interviews anymore unless it's the content. <laughs> I'm happy about that. Yeah, I think I think it's only fair. And especially, as you say, like the the fact that the interviewer himself only has nice things to say about him. I think it renders it a bit of a non-story. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Scunny one, Swindon three, Swindon Town, George. Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one for me because um, 
in my heart, I hate Swindon, of course, but in my head um, and professionally, I've got to say that I am really excited about um, about what's going on there. Um, I really hope that I don't get uh, excommunicated by the Oxford faithful on the back of this. They won't um, be listening but they, to the League Two segment, will they? Yeah, hope, turn off now, um, please. I'm going to have to say this on TV soon, which I'm which is going to be interesting. But um, yeah, I'm still seeing a lot of the narrative around Swindon as being, can they do the the miracle of of, of staying up? <laughs> I think the Swindon team is turning into like a really good side, and I. I've got to caveat this by saying that I think this was as good an opening game as you could probably have. Scunthorpe looked very, very poor, as we expected them to be. Pretty much everyone has them down for relegation. Um, having said that, the players that Swindon are bringing in excite me. You know, you've got players who Swindon fans know a lot about, who've been good players for them recently too. You know, Grant being one, Payne being another. Um, I think Borgia and Conroy is, is a very, very good um centre-back duo to have Gladwin whilst not being the most mobile um, is a player with so much quality Simpson looks to be he looks like um, a, he looks like a dad playing in in like his son's I know. match in the playground somehow looks like twice the size of every other player on the pitch and also like comfortably the best technically as well exactly no I mean that's exactly what he looks like and he, you know, it was a lovely goal that he took that he took and I think they've got enough legs around the team that it shouldn't be too much of an issue having to kind of carry that talent their first eleven on Saturday was like a good first eleven. They brought on players, uh, you know, Critchlow is a player who we saw play once or twice in the Championship last season, and, and certainly held his own for Huddersfield. Uh, East comes in with with really good pedigree too. Basically, what I'm saying is that their team now, two weeks ago, they they didn't really have a team. Their team now looks to me like like a good League Two team, and the players they're bringing in suggests to me that whoever's making the decisions of who to sign which we anticipate is likely Ben Chorley, the director of football, n- knows what he's doing. And therefore, with another three weeks to go in August and an owner in Clemorth Uni who clearly is backing up his words with some cash to actually get the players in. I mean, you know, they're not spending loads of money. They're not expecting them to be a money bags team at all. But they look to me to let them know what they're doing. And I, I think... The idea that this is a, a relegation destined side is completely wrong. I think they're a team who could do, I mean, I think mid-table is basically the benchmark and there's no reason why they can't be a good side in this league. Um, and, and that is, it's annoying in a way that we're talking about this on the back of the 3-1 win for them because I was saying this to you before the weekend's games that I'm starting to think that I there was something going on there that was worth being positive about. Um, I'm glad that's been backed up. So this isn't just knee-jerk. Um, I think... Swindon Town looked to me like a, a team back on the ascendancy. It's true. You were very sort of concerned at how many positive feelings you were having about Swindon Town <laughs> in the whole lead up to the weekend. And no no doubt after you watched the, the highlights, nothing really changed. We had a couple of, of uh, people, NTT20 squad scouts at the game, Richard and Dean as well. And I think Dean's point is important, which is it's hard to know if Swindon were good or Scunthorpe just terrible. That's a big theme for, for a lot of the games that we're talking about on opening weekend, um, but very encouraging. And the name that we need to mention, a couple in fact, are uh, Villa Loney Kane Kessler-Hayden played right back for Swindon. And yet Dean... Put, I thought this was quite nice. He said, the story was Kane Kessler-Hayden playing right back, this 18-year-old on loan from Villa, making his career league debut in Swindon's yellow and green away kit. He looked the spitting image of Max Ahrens in style 
uh, and in the way that he played. So great energy, well-timed forward runs, won the penalty, generally played excellently, could be one of the stars of the League Two season. And, you know, this guy captained Villa to FA Youth Cup success just a few months ago. So I mean, if he's as, as good as he looks, then he could be magnificent. Um, and it was good to see Harry Parsons scoring as well youngster um, Swindon sort of born and bred and someone who was one of the very few players who kind of stuck around in the summer uh, and has, has been rewarded for that with a with a uh, appearance off the bench and, and a goal um, he had a bit of a weird time because he he was announced as having signed his professional contract on June the 14th um, it came with a, a story on the website and a picture of him signing a contract but because of everything that that happened in the following weeks and um, Anderson the chief executive who then left the club. Apparently that contract was null and void. So um, Parsons then had to play as a trialist during pre-season without a proper contract and has since agreed a new deal on better terms. So uh, the sort of story that, that kind of sums everything up in a microcosm uh, in terms of Swindon's last six weeks or so. Uh, and great to see Anthony Grant at the heart of the midfield doing Anthony Grant things, just breaking up play and allowing Payne and, and, uh, and Gladwin particularly to dominate technically. Exciting stuff for Swindon Town. There you go. Um, Mansfield Town won as well. They beat Bristol Rovers 2-1, George with a late, late penalty. I think it was it's one of those games where because of the controversy that surrounded Coots's red card for violent conduct, the fact that it was Danny Johnson who he clipped around the ear who then scored the winning penalty. A lot of sort of noise and anger and excitement around this game. But I think on balance of play, Mansfield were the stronger side, um, which is kind of how we expected both teams to start the season. Mansfield ready to go under Nigel Clough. Bristol Rovers perhaps taking some time to find their feet under the uncertainty that they've had and all those new places, uh, new faces rather, over the summer. Um, I reckon you really liked the cut of Rob Edwards' jib in his post-match interview <laughs> like, for uh, it's Forest, Chino's gag. Forest Green 2 Sutton 1 he had clearly been asked something like your first ever game as a senior manager what will be your main takeaways and he went well the main thing I've learned is not to wear chinos at the new lawn because I'm absolutely soaked through <laughs> <laughs> great stuff um, yeah, they were they were impressive I thought it was, it was a game between two good sides and it was interesting to note that Rob Edwards said after the game how impressed he was um, with Sutton um, because um, yeah, they offered a fair bit going forwards. Uh, it was only a very, very late goal from Ebu Adams that got Forest Green the three points. It wasn't necessarily. I kind of had Forest Green down as being maybe the side who, a bit like MK Dons at the beginning of last season, who might suddenly post these mad numbers of seventy percent possession and things like that. Um, it didn't really wasn't the case. That might be something to do with the way that Sutton liked to play as well. Um, but they were still very impressive. Um, they created plenty of chances. There was nothing in the early signs to suggest that Rob Edwards um, is out of his depth as a manager and there was nothing to suggest that Sutton are out of their depth as a League Two club either. Nicely put. Yeah, it was a great goal they scored, wasn't it? Omar mm. Bugil with a thumping header. And, and... I, I mean, it annoyed me, the, the meter celebration, I've got to say. I mean, normally I don't care about this stuff, but you just scored Sutton's first ever EFL goal and you're not celebrating because you played for a side not very often a few years ago. Not for me, that. Hashtag nice touch. Go and run into the fans with your shirt off and get sent off. Touch of class. This is Omar Bugil, not Omar Bogle, by the way. Do not get confused with those two. Um, it sounded like Regan Hendry, by the way, is the one to watch from a Forest Green perspective. His debut, I think he was their man of the match. Uh, midfielder who was with Wraith Rovers last season uh, and all of our friends north of the border, uh, very big fans of his. So and could be another great bit of recruitment 
from Scotland for Forest Green, just like Nicky Cadden, the left wing back, who picked up um, the first assist of many, no doubt, this season uh, with a cross for the first goal. Newport beat Oldham 1 0. Um, most notable thing, I think, from the game was just what a brilliant goal it was and the fact that it was 42 year old Kevin Ellison that scored it. Um, he has basically had one year contracts exclusively for about 15 years now. Uh, this summer was no different, even though he finished the season on loan at Newport and scored a big goal in the playoff semi-final. He had to go through the rigmarole of being a trialist, uh, having to kind of prove himself once again, uh, getting the contract from Mike Flynn, coming off the bench on opening day and guiding a, a brilliant, brilliant header into the top corner for a 1-0 Newport win. So really positive start to the season for them in a game that didn't have a huge amount in it. Uh, I think we know that we we can't expect Oldham to be the top scorers and top conceders in the division this season under Keith Curl. But um, but Farquharson and Dimitriou, immense for Newport at the back. Uh, Dan, who's a Newport fan, was at the game. He's an NTT20 squad member and he liked Ed Upson's performance as well. So that's worth mentioning because I, I was very concerned about uh, missing Josh Sheehan, uh, who moved to Bolton. Uh, but Upson's passing range um, at the base of midfield, I think, was was very eye-catching. So a great way for Newport to start the season. Um, I don't think the question of who will score their goals or how consistently will they create and take chances was necessarily answered here. But um, great to get an away win first up for, for Newport County. George, um, let me run you through some fixtures and you can pick one to talk about. Harrogate 3, Rochdale 2. Northampton 1, Port Vale 0. Uh, what about Tranmere 1, Walsall 0? Uh, or potentially even Stevenage 1, Barrow 0? Which of those do you like? I mean, there's not a great deal to get stuck into in any of them, I don't think. You know, we've got the red cards uh, made a big difference uh, in... Well, I mean, there were two red cards. There was one in the Tranmere game, which was late on, uh, in the Port Vale game. Uh, that was pretty um, disastrous for Vale, who's, um, you know, the new era there didn't get off to the best start, but good for Northampton to get their, their win playing um, a lot of nice stuff, which John Brady promised. Um, I loved the um, the Mike Dean thing at Tranmere against Warsaw. It's just unbelievable. So, again, for anybody who didn't see, um, the, the linesman, had to hobble off injured uh, before the uh, before the first sorry before the game started. Mike Dean was there as a fan supporting Tranmere, and obviously they they urgently needed a, a substitute referee, so he ended up being fourth official, which I just thought was hilarious because, as people know, he's he's a fairly passionate guy, and I, I've got a feeling that it must have been quite tricky for him standing on the sidelines next to Warsaw manager Matty Taylor and not um not start celebrating when that happened. Uh, and also amusing that they then had a man set off quite late on. So I'd like to have seen how he had to defuse Mickey Mellon at that point too. Um, a great, another very unique EFL story. Um, but yeah, I guess for Walsall and for Port Vale, two clubs whose recent history has been somewhat intertwined by Daryl Clark, um, they'll both be frustrated that they weren't able to pick up something from this game, uh, from these games where it felt like, you know, the, the first game of a new era. Um, there was... Lots, lots of light from Warsaw. To be fair, they created plenty of chances. Um, they were fairly unlucky, I think, to be on the on the losing side in the game. Um, but yeah, not too much, as you say, with these marginal victories and op- marginal home victories on opening day. Um, not too much point in getting too carried away. Lucas Kovalan, the Port Vale goalkeeper who got sent off in his last two matches, <laughs> a score, scored a header uh, yeah. in the playoff final for Torquay, and then sent off in like quite comedy circumstances as well on mm. his debut uh, first ever 
EFL game, first game for Port Vale. It begs the question, what is he going to do next, George? <laughs> what is Lucas going to do when Before he finally returns if he gets the gloves back? Because red card on debut in a 1-0 defeat where you were very much in that game until that point, uh, not ideal. Butch is our man, Cobblers fan, uh, was at the game. And I guess the, there's a lot of notable stuff when it comes to Northampton just because... It's a kind of new era, new look, new manager in John Brady trying to do things very differently, like noticeably differently to Keith Curl where possible um, and trying to be a sort of breath of fresh air. So 4-4-2, they played with eight summer signings starting or making their debuts, a whole new midfield with Pinnock and Flores, Lewis and uh, Dylan Connolly as well. Um, so a good a good start. Benny Ashley Seal obviously used to plunder goals in the Wolves youth system like a lot of Wolves players got kind of chewed up and spat out by the system uh, and it's having to start his career now quite late compared to a lot of young strikers uh, and very notably last season made 23 appearances uh, mostly off the bench uh, without scoring a goal so huge for him to get the winner on opening day for Northampton and I always think that generally if someone is going to be like a, a noticeably impressive goal scorer age 15, 16, 17 to the point where he gets talked about and plays for England youth teams there's probably a very good player at senior level there. Um, and often that takes quite a lot of time to come out. Sometimes it, it never gets achieved. But um, I'll be backing Ashley Seal now um, to, to, to kind of build on that and looking forward to it. Uh, I think Northampton Town were pretty good for it. Um, albeit, as you say, the red card did make a, a big difference there. Really nice goal from Tramir, Callum, uh, Callum McManaman, who is only 30 years old, which rattled me. Um, yeah. And also, I noticed, obviously, he was with Melbourne Victory in the A-League last season. McManaman has never played below the Premier League or the Championship, apart from that. So he hasn't even played, he's never even played as low as League One. And here he is, aged only 30, playing in, in League Two. Um, he could be a bit of a Houlihan, maybe. It was a really nice goal, anyway. Uh, and for Stevenage, it was the assist of Jamie Reid that caught my eye. Uh, he's known as a bit of a poacher, a bit of a finisher, but he galloped down the wing and cut it back for a really good goal. And Stevenage, 1-0 wins where the opposition don't really get much of a sniff. I think we're going to see a lot of that this season, so starting as they mean to go on. And the Harrogate-Rochdale game was just mad, as always, when Harrogate play because they attack with, with great verve and they can't really defend. Uh, and I think you can probably say the same about Rochdale as well, uh, for whom Newby looked brilliant with a goal and an assist. And Simon Power certainly stood out with one particular highlight. Um, the Harrogate left midfielder, Irish um, creative player, Pacey, wears his socks low like Jack Grealish. I think he's someone that you could you could get very into, George. And um, former Norwich sort of youngster who, um, like a lot of those guys, probably will, will go on to have a great career. So Harrogate are, are a team to watch and, um, and Simon Power certainly one to watch there for them. As for the draws... The main thing for me, George, was goalkeeper performances standing out. Um, the results themselves were Exeter nil, Bradford nil, Salford one, Leighton Orient one, uh, Carlisle nil, Colchester nil, and the goalkeepers there uh, massive really. Vigaru for Leighton Orient, who was excellent last season. I think they've they've done really well to keep him. Um, I'm sure he would have had his head turned a few times over the summer. Cameron Dawson made an unbelievable double save for Exeter against Bradford. That was a real game of two halves. Bradford the stronger in the first half. Exeter finishing the stronger in that one. And then Shamal George, the best of the lot, in goal for Colchester. Carlisle had, I mean, a million shots on his goal and he stood up to all of them. So One million. One million shots, zero wow. goals for them. Any more to add, George, on what's been an enjoyable bumper opening Monday part of the season? 
just I'm very excited to see you on my TV on Wednesday night talking through the Carabao Cup games with Kevin Phillips. Two great strikers, similar styles of play. And I can't wait for you to tell me everything that's happened. And we're going to a game, actually, aren't we? We're Correct. going to a game tomorrow night. We're yep. going to Charlton Athletic against AFC Wimbledon. I'm looking forward very much to seeing the, the buzzing AFC Wimbledon brigade uh, with my own eyes and excited to see the new look Charlton too. So yeah, I am. it's going to be a great week. It will be a great week. I'll see you at the Valley. Uh, I'll see you guys, as George said, on the Carabao Cup highlight show on Quest on Wednesday night. Uh, really looking forward to that. And I've just loved doing this again. It's my favourite thing in the world. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of this season. The podcast sponsored by Betfair, which allows us to be um, getting out and about as well, travelling across the country, hopefully in these midweeks and, and watching games. Um, we're so excited to be back on Sky Sports, um, as some of you will have seen on Friday night. And we'll both be on Quest as well as, as League One and League Two pundits this season. So um, just delighted that these leagues are back. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. And maybe if it was your first time, um, you could click subscribe and you'll join us. Uh, as I say, I think four weeks would be a fair trial period for us uh, in order to to give a little bit on, on each team uh, over the course of the first month. And then if you don't like it after that, then that's fine. You know, you can go elsewhere. Uh, and if you wanted to join the NTT20 squad and join a throbbing group of EFL I'm going to say EFL nerds, but I think everyone on that knows that I don't mean that in a negative way because that is what we are as well. Um, we've got a, a thread, a chat thread for each division, um, so it's easy to follow. Add so much excitement on there. Um, do some exclusive content as well coming up over the course of the season. Uh, it is four ninety nine a month to be part of the NTT20 squad, but you can have a two-week free trial to start with to see what it's all about. You'll find the link to join that uh, in the description of this podcast and also on our Twitter or Instagram bio. Thank you to Betfair for their support. We'll be back on Thursday with a betting show. Um, George started the season very hot, picking Hull to win, picking Birmingham to win at very nice prices. Uh, and I've got some work to do to, to match that. So join us again on Thursday. And thanks so much for listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast.